morning, everyone. It's a great joy to be with you here this morning. We had our school gala last night, so thank you for all your support for those who attended, but also uh, for those who helped set up. If you want to help tear down after this, you're welcome to. Um, we have an amazing school, and we wouldn't have an amazing school without the support of you, or the spout, without the support of the parish, so thank you. Um, I must say I'm a little tired. I, I was up way too late last night, and then our snow plows over at St. Louis decided to plow the parking lot at 2 a.m., so... Um, yeah, the joy of living next to a Catholic church. I don't know how the neighbors felt, but... Today I want to zoom in on our first reading from the book of Job. They're kind of hard readings to get through. Today might be a little bit heavier of a homily, a little bit heavier of a topic, but Job is so intense here, right? He says this, I am allotted months of emptiness. Nights of misery are appointed to me. Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never see, my eye will never again see good. Or as we heard, my eye will never see happiness again. At first glance, you look at this and you're like, did Father Brian write this? <laughs> Melancholics, right? Um, but I want to zoom in on this and I want to preach a little bit about suffering. Suffering, a hard topic to preach about, a very uh, important topic to preach about, though. I want to do this very reverently, I want to invite us into uh, thinking and reflecting on what are the sufferings of my life, how can I unite them with the Lord? I think it's hard to preach on suffering, and even think about suffering, because the natural thing when I suffer is I often compare with other people. What's going on in my heart, what's going on in their heart? No one understands me. No one knows what I'm going through. When we suffer, we're often alone, and we don't think anyone could possibly understand what I'm going through. And then we can cast judgments of, no one has ever suffered as deeply as I have. They don't know because they don't suffer. Look at their perfect family, look at their perfect life. They don't know what it's like to suffer. But yet, everyone suffers. We all suffer in different ways. We all have our own challenges. One of the hardest years for me in seminary was year five. Five out of nine. I did nine years total. After my fourth year, or my fifth year really, um, I just finished up philosophy. So right, in, in seminary you study philosophy, so I had a bachelor, I got a bachelor's of arts in philosophy, and that allowed me to enter into theology. There's four years of theology before you uh, are ordained a priest. I just finished up philosophy, I'm just like, finally, I graduated. Still had four more years to go. That year was really particularly hard. We had this new professor at the seminary, and needless to say, um, this professor just wasn't a good fit. She actually left at the end of that year. Um, professors do more than just academics at the seminary, so there's, there's multifaceted things there. And then the formator that I had, I just did not get along with. There was a lot of um, kind of head-to-head -head combat, you know? And, uh, your formator is the priest that you live with, and he's the one who uh, kind of directs you in your human formation, making sure that you're, you're growing, you're uh, being challenged, and you're growing in virtue. I remember butting heads with him and just thinking, why is this so hard? Why is life so hard? Why is seminary so hard? Can I make it? Can I do this? And the temptation for me was to think the grass must be greener on the other side. If I just left seminary, I'd be so much more happy. 
I wasn't in seminary, life would be so much easier. I wouldn't have to be obedient to these people. I wouldn't have to do all these different things. I could just do what I want to do. I remember thinking to myself, very seriously, I just want to leave. But I knew God was calling me to be a priest. And I knew I couldn't just get up and leave. Have you ever had moments in your life like that where everything just seems so frustrating? Allotted months of emptiness, nights of misery. Do you want to hear a dad joke? <laughs> There's three rings of marriage. There's the engagement ring. There's the wedding ring. And then there's suffering, right? <laughs> With great reverence, where do you suffer in your life? Are you suffering? Are you aware of your suffering? It's so easy just to dismiss it, to leave it alone, to not think about it. But God has a purpose in suffering. Job, the book of Job is all about this. Job, wisdom literature. What wisdom literature is doing, it's asking hard questions. In the book of Job, one of the oldest books ever written in scripture, probably written around the time that Genesis was written. Job is wrestling with the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there suffering in this world? Why is life such a drudgery at times? And if you know the story of Job, he's faithful to the Lord. And then the Lord allows everything to be taken away from him. There's a scene in Job right before this where everything is gone. His children, his family, his house is burned down. He's sitting on a pile of rubble on top of his house, scraping his sores, his wounds with a broken uh, jar of pottery, scraping his sores, his leprosy out of his wounds. Everything's lost. Everything's hopeless. Everything's gone. And his friend Eliphaz comes to him and says, Job, the reason why you're suffering is clearly because you've committed some great sin. You've committed some great sin, and God is, uh, is, is, is punishing you. God is punishing you for this great sin. Curse God and die. Job says, no, these are my sufferings. I'm allotted months of misery. Maybe I won't see happiness again. But I'm not going to curse God. I don't know why I'm suffering. I don't know why there's suffering in this world. But I promise you, I haven't been sinning. I haven't committed some great sin that would lead me into this punishment. Why is there suffering? Suffering is a result of the fall. There was no suffering in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. There's one brief thing about architecture in churches, oftentimes you'll see uh, floral imagery in the sanctuary, dividing the nave to the sanctuary. Why? Because it's image of the garden. Here in the sanctuary, it's paradise, where Christ dwells. And through God's mercy, we're going back towards paradise. However, it's not just back to paradise, it's something even greater. Because God gives us himself after paradise. After the fall, after suffering, God does something so amazing in suffering. And so here's the good news. Here's the whole point for today. Suffering now has a meaning. We don't just suffer in vain. We don't just suffer out of misery. We don't just wallow in our self-pity. Suffering was redeemed by Christ because through his salvation that he won for us, our salvation, our redemption is won by his suffering on the cross. 
So suffering can have a meaning in your life. That phrase that is often thrown out there, offer it up, just offer it up. People often use that to say, stop complaining, just offer it up. Stop wallowing your self-pity, just offer it up. The real meaning behind offer it up is to say, Christ has won, he has redeemed your salvation through suffering. Suffering has a purpose. So when you suffer, unite it, offer it to the Lord, because that can also bring about redemption. That's what redemptive suffering means. That when you suffer, you can say, Jesus, I give you this. Bring about salvation, bring about redemption in these other people. So that person that you really struggle with. Maybe it's at your work. That thing that you're struggling with in life. Maybe it's a person in your family. Maybe it's a spouse, a sibling, a parent, a child. Maybe it's struggles within that. All these children that I have. The struggle of infertility. These challenges that you face day to day. You can take that suffering, you can give it back to the Lord, unite your sufferings with His, and God uses that to bring about redemption, your salvation through uniting your sufferings to Him. That's such great news, that you don't have to suffer in vain, you don't have to suffer alone. Christ knows what you're going through. He knew what it was like to be rejected, he knew what it was like to be spat upon, to be mocked, to wear a crown of thorns, and to suffer the most horrific death in history. And he did, it, he did it because he loves you, and it brought about your salvation. So here's what I want to close with. Two points. Psalm, Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted he binds up their wounds. That's what God does. We who suffer, he heals us. Today's gospel, Jesus goes and heals these different people. He's in the house of Simon's mother-in-law. And then it says the whole city, the whole town, the whole village hear about Jesus, that he's doing all these amazing miracles. He's healing people. He's curing those who are sick and freeing those possessed with demons. The whole city was gathered together about at his door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Brothers and sisters, where are you suffering? Where are you brokenhearted? Where do you need Jesus to touch you today? Because Jesus does touch you in the sacrament of the Eucharist. He dwells inside you today when you receive him. He heals your broken heart he binds up your wounds. Next week, we have our feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. People travel all around the world to go to Lourdes, France. Why? To pray for healing, to bathe in those waters. We've been praying this novena. I invite you to join us in praying this novena, which will end next Saturday. God wants to heal you. Mary is a vessel for that. God wants to heal your broken heart today. Unite your sufferings to him. What do you need healing for? What do you want to ask the Lord today?